Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is podcast Akron Zero. You're home for the apocalypse for episode 56, Lucifer's Hammer. So tonight we've got Hammer Fever. We are. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the term from the book, wasn't it? It sure was. So we're going to be talking about the classic, classic post-apocalyptic novel, uh, Lucifer's Hammer, done by Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. Okay. Um, so we're going to get into that, uh, and uh, uh, before we get into that, the only, uh, the only thing I really uh, have of interest to, to talk about, uh, to say, because I just want to get into get into the book, is um, tomorrow the first DLC for Fallout Four is coming out. So the um, the autumn I can't remember what it's called. It's like the one with it's the one about the robots, and basically you're going to now be able to build. And customize your own like companion robots, so I'm really excited about this. So. Plus, you have a, plus there's an adventure built into it, right? There's there's like the mechanist has returned from Fallout Three, yes, uh, to be a problem. Yep, uh, yes, there is an adventure around that. I think it's more about uh, you know the add-on, but there is a small adventure, and then I think the next one's just a small DLC. Then there's the big one, which is Far Harbor, which apparently is like the biggest one. Uh, add-on they've done for uh, Fallout DLC ever. So, yeah. but the ones coming with the robots, so I'm really excited about that. That's coming out tomorrow. So, finally get some of those um, brain bots back in the rotation. Yes, they're adding brain bots back, and a couple other things that they left out that people were, were apparently incensed about not having. So they. Uh, I don't remember what else was real left out. Brain bot was the one that always. Uh, again, yeah. I. I get my information secondhand because I have sworn off Fallout until I have finished all my other work. Uh, yeah, the brain bots were the the biggest one, and you know, let's see if the internet could do me right. Uh, let's see here if it tells me real quick uh, what is going to be in there. Um, I think it's blah 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 blah, and this robot companions. This update hasn't told me shit. And all right, let's not worry about let's, let's not worry about that. Uh, but yeah, so that's coming out. That's the only big thing. Uh, nothing else. Uh, well, I did show Scott, and well, I don't want to move the camera yep. too too much. As I finally hung up, if you could see it over my shoulders, guys. you raise it up just a little bit. Yeah, there you go. I finally hung up those uh, metal Mad Max, uh, Mad Max, and the Road Warrior uh, posters that my wife had gotten me for uh, Christmas. So. They're like mess. They're like metal, and they're hung up by a magnet. So they're they're pretty cool. They're very. They're like a okay. minimalist. Mi they're like a minimalist style. So they're so pretty cool. So Nancy got those for you. Yeah. Oh, you chose well, sir. That was a good. That she knew right the right stuff to get you. Well, I give her a lot of ideas, and she's also learning. She, she kind of you know learns and knows you know like you know she, she doesn't always follow my list, but it gives her ideas. You know, you so. occasionally get socks. Sometimes you get socks. Socks and underwear. It's like thanks, love you too. But you know, <laughs> sometimes you get uh, Mad Max stuff. That's all right. Sometimes you get. It's always good to get Mad Max stuff. So, so I finally got those hung up in the office. I wanted to put them on the the wall of the apocalypse in the front here, but it was getting kind of crowded between the Gamerald poster, the Gamerald world map, my Metamorphosis Alpha poster, my Thunder. Doing this wrong, you need to podcast the other direction so everyone can see that. I know. But, can but, but you see I, the lovely books behind me, so that everyone thinks that I am erudite and well-read. 
Yeah, but I get to look up and see all this, and it brings me joy. What so. what good does that what good does that do your audience or our audience? You're robbing my audience with well, your they, selfishness. Well, they live vicariously through me, so uh, <laughs> they're 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 going to have to they're going to have to feed off of my joy. You know. Okay. So. <laughs> Well, there was a time when there that, that was a starvation ration diet, but all right, you, yeah. you seem happier now. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so folks, we're going to talk about Lucifer's Hammer, classic book. I read this back in the eighties because uh, there Lucifer's Hammer. And upon, I recently again just reread it. Well, I kind of, I kind of cheated. I did a combination of um, audacity. So I did. I was listening to it like on the way to work, and when I was at work, and then at night, I would crack open my Kindle and like pick up where I left off, like from work, and read at night before I went that, to bed. That counts. That counts. Yeah, I, I did back and forth. I, I worked it the best I could. I did like I'd listen on the way to work, and then I'd read some at night and listen during the day. Um, and one of the things uh, that I found, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time when I started to reread it was originally this came out. A lot earlier than I thought. It was originally first published in 1977, and it is upon again rereading it. It is a product. There's a lot of 70 isms in this book. Okay? Oh yeah, hockeys, hockeys, and brothers, and it's really oh yeah. Not again in 1984 when I probably read it, not realizing that. But originally. There is a- there is a definitely a, a soft spot around uh, Alim Nasur, the uh, the guy who's the former Black Panther style radical who's now just in organized crime. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he he definitely is a soft spot because he completely calls back to the late sixties, early seventies uh, combination of fear of the Black Panthers and then sort of black exploitation movies. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of these characters, like a lot of you know, could totally fall out of like a black exploitation film. It's it's, it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous in some ways, but so, but again, figuring if this was published in '77, it was probably written in '75. You know, because it, it says copyright. A- it says copyright '77. So yeah, you're right. This this was probably cobbled together for over a year, uh, and then minimum. Then trying to get it published, so it probably came out a little bit earlier. Because all right, so oh, let me just stop for a second. So everybody. Uh, we are reviewing the book, and we're going to probably review it in a pretty good detail uh, because we love the book. So here's a spoiler for you, folks. If you don't want to know a lot of details, even if you hear a lot of details, it's still worth your time to sit down and read it yourself. But just a little spoiler alert, folks. We're going to get into a lot of detail uh, about about the book. So um, one of the things I also discovered uh, when researching the book a little bit was I did not know that in 92 – there was a comic adaptation started for Lucifer's Hammer uh, by Innovation Comics. I never even heard of them. Small, independent comic book. Um, now, apparently, it didn't do very well because only two of the six issues that were planned came out. Okay, so I got there. I've, I've seen cover pictures for you know three, four, five, and six, but I can't find them anywhere. So I think they probably only published two. And I can understand why. I mean, I read the two comics. It was a decent adaptation, a little modernization on certain ways. But he gets the the, the whole feel of it. But the artwork is just, it's terrible. I hated it. It is <laughs> it is ugly. It is not a pretty comic. It's, it's I don't like the style. So I can see why it probably wasn't very successful. I'm a snob about that. It takes some really special writing to overcome terrible artwork and I will put up with terrible writing because there was good artwork and then I felt cheap and bad about it later. But yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's uh, I could say again, I could see why it probably didn't um, do so well, but but that came out. So uh, so anyway, so uh, let's see here. Uh, Ford just said something. Oh, he's there. Great. All right. So yeah, Lucifer's hammer. So one thing again, I noticed when I that I noticed with the book, and I'm sure and you can attest to this, is because it's Larry Niven. It's very sciency heavy, you know. Oh yes, yeah. You 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 kind of get you kind of get a kind of a light astronomy lesson in this as well when you're reading this book. It's very heavy in the science because it like a lot of the first beginning of the book, it's all about the comets and what they are and the in the galaxy and the, and the this and that. It really gets into the like a, you know as, as much as you can in a, you know a mass publication, but it gets into science a lot. Compare that to a lot of post-apocalypse stuff we've written. You know, when weapons turn up, it's a rifle. It's a submachine gun. It's a pistol. There is no information. Larry and Jerry, at least in this, I mean, Purnell goes on to do military SF, but Larry and Jerry do not give a shit what the mag capacity is or the, you know, the, the, the uh, what size the ammo is, what type of ammo the weapon carries. They're just, they're, they're, they're just moving on with their story. So, oh yeah, it's not it's not it's not gun porn like a lot of the post apocalyptic stuff we've read. Like, it's like he uses six or nine blah 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 or his twin Daytonic forty fives with the Pacmar grips. You know, that's the classic. That is the classic every time. Is the, every time, every time. That's the twin Daytonics hardballers in forty five caliber with the Pacmar grips. Pacmar, the Pacmar grips. It's like know? a mantra. I've said it before, but anyways, yeah, they don't give a damn about that. The uh, you know when the bad guys turn up, they have mortars, they have bazookas, machine they, guns. Have, they have machine guns, they have fifty caliber machine guns. I think he says fifties, which is not good. And that should Maybe. tell you how. Mainly, they said they got machine guns. They're carrying machine guns, which are assault yeah. rifles. They're, they're very nonspecific because it's not important. It's not that important to the story. It's important to know that he said, oh, they got machine guns. We got hunting rifles. That's that's all you need to know is that yeah. you're at, they're outgunned. That's it. Yeah. But, exactly. Um, it's um, – it's, it, so, it, yeah, don't get the detail about that. One of the things I, I did find with, again, rereading this is before the hammer fall – which is what, what's called in the book is when, you know, the comet. Oh, by the way, folks, yeah, the comet hits the earth. So, <laughs> but. Um, let's, let's back up. Why is it called Lucifer's Hammer? Okay, well, it, first of all, well, it's originally the comet was discovered by a Playboy millionaire uh, amateur astronomer, astronomer named Tim Hamner with an N. Now, himself and some kid in like Alabama or something discovers a comet. Well, at least it's recognized by the, the, you know, the astronomy, the astronomy organizations uh, simultaneously. So the ham, it's called Hamner Brown is yeah. what it's originally called. But during, I think one of the interviews they do, they're, they're like, they're talking on like Johnny Carson and he accidentally calls it the hammer or people start calling it hammer instead of Hamner. So it starts getting around that it's the hammer. And then there's this radical, uh, uh, television or radio evangelist who's called Henry Armitage. Is- yeah, let's let's take a moment to unpack the name of the crazy, uh, the insane uh, televangelist for just a second. Where where have we heard the name Henry Armitage before, uh, Mister Wallace? 
I, you know, it sounds so familiar, and it kind of tickles at the, my brain. Like I kind of know almost what it is. Could could um, it be the could it be the name of the librarian at Miskatonic University who's in charge of keeping the Necronomicon locked away in the short story, The Dunwich Horror? Could that be where we heard it? Nah, no, nah, that would be too easy, and that would well, that would and that that would show that that would also show that we're more than one trick ponies, and we know more than just the apocalypse. So. <laughs> I wonder about that, whether that, you know, that is the only name game I could find, except for Peter Jackoff, which we'll yeah. get to later. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, there's only, that's the only thing that looks even remotely like a name game is Henry Armitage, which is a direct quote from, uh, which is a direct name out of, out of H.P. Lovecraft's The, uh, the Dunwich Are. Isn't it, which isn't an apocalyptic novel necessarily. Uh, but is about a monster coming down from the stars to fuck our shit up. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but so but, uh, but crazy the Reverend, Mr. crazy Reverend Armitage starts calling it the hammer. Yes, the hammer of God. Lucifer's hammer is coming to smite. You know the unbelievers and so forth. Your typical you know crazy evangelist type. You know end of the world stuff. So yeah. he starts calling it Lucifer's hammer, and then other people start calling it Lucifer's hammer. And then, like we said at the beginning, people start getting what they call hammer fever because uh, during the course of the novel, you know, the predictions of it be, of it hitting us keep, keep on getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And you know, people that aren't is, hitting, that is say the chances of it missing or hitting. Yeah, the chances of it missing are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's like oh, it's a one in ten thousand chance where it, used, it was like one in a billion at, at the at the beginning. Um, but yeah, they talk about you know the comet cleaving, and they, I mean they really get into again. He gets into a lot of you know because again he's a he's well, Larry Niven's a major science fiction writer, so you really gives us an a little bit of a you know an education if you didn't know anything about comets and what they're made of, at least from a 1975 uh, you know astronomy knowledge standpoint. Yeah, you know? there, there's a lot of stuff about it. Like, is it cleaving, outgassing? Yep. Um, it's not really a, he makes the point. It's not a solid object. It's never been a solid object. It is a, it is literally sort of a, a dense cloud of material that's coming our direction. And it was, is it the, is, is it gets closer to the sun? It causes the outgassing, which causes the tail, which causes it to change direction. It oh yeah. It's altering its course. Yep, and yeah, because it pulls on it as it's coming towards the sun. The tail isn't behind it. When it comes around, the tail's in front of it because it's it's the gases. The sun causes the gases and the solar wind, and it pushes the the tails out. And during and during the uh, like they're trying to equate it because they're doing documentaries during the course, uh, and they refer to it. They they compare it to a hot fudge Sunday, so they call it hot fudge hot fudge Tuesday. Because they do, they try to, they try to do an analysis of describing what, it, like, like what if it would hit? Yeah, there's the, there's the math thing, right? There's a big guy. They just get in front of a chalkboard, like doing the math of what it would, what happens if this hot fudge Sunday hits the earth. Called a hot fudge Sunday, and um, basically they're like, oh, they're like, so that's what's going to happen. They're like, oh no, the comet's about ten, about ten times bigger than that, or something like that, yeah. you know? Um, so, so at the beginning of the book. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of explaining, like what are comets, and he, and he goes into it a lot. So, uh, that, but that's one thing I, I'd say with the, the book. Up until Hammerfall, things are played out, you know, you know, the telling the story. But after Hammerfall, after Hammerfall, I think things start to get a little choppy. There's a lot of time jumps after Hammerfall. 
I notice. It's like, okay, it's been two weeks. It's been four weeks. Okay, we're seven weeks out. Like, it's a lot of short, a lot of, uh, a lot of time hops. You know, whereas they really kind of drag out a lot of it in the beginning. Oh, yeah. We, we, we're not crashing the comment. All right, let's see. I'm looking at a 640-page book. Yes. Um, it's thick, uh, folks. The, uh, the, the, the chapter after Doomsday, that is, let's get the roundup on how fucked we are, is page 418. That is two-thirds of the way through before this sucker smashes into – well, I mean, there's – about a hundred pages of material as the comet is hitting the earth, obviously, but you know, describing the world changing events, but yeah, it, it's well more than halfway through before we get touchdown. Yep. Right. Cause there's a lot of talk about, cause basically what happens is in the book folks is, you know, the comets discover, they start doing, like, there's a TV, Har Harvey Randall is the uh, TV uh, documentary maker, and there's a, there's a lot of characters in, 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 you know, in this book, and they all kind of play off each other. You know, Mark Chetsku is his, uh, his sidekick. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Because I could never pronounce that damn Easter Chetsku. Uh, Chetsku. It, yeah. I believe it's Chetsku. Okay. Um, you know, it's, you get a lot of characters. They interact and making documentaries, and they're talking to JPL in California. There's Senator Jellison, who like is like the science space uh, program guy who lives out in California. You know, Senator who, who helps get a mission. So a lot of the beginning of the book's all about you know, you know, meeting all the characters and how they how they play into each other. You know, uh, the the main focus is you know the science part and the making of the documentaries, and then how all these characters inter interconnect with each other. But it's also about the rising, uh, the rising fear. I mean, yeah. he puts a slow boil on where it's like, you know, it's not going to happen. We live in denial. Like, you know, we're not going to have rising sea levels or uh, we're not going to, you know, overpopulate or we're not going to uh, overpollute, you know. And then you put that frog on for the slow boil and suddenly, oops, you know, you're in the middle of the apocalypse. This one is kind of the same way where it's denial of what the possibility is, you know, and and so you get to the hammer fever part where people are bugging out of the cities, packing all their stuff and leaving. Um, there's a there's a, a sort of hysterical flurry at the end. There's all this inertia uh, uh, that has to be overcome, right? Where it's like um, you know, Jellico wants the Jellison, excuse me, Jellison. Uh, was a British admiral from Jutland. I don't know why I thought Jellicoe. But Jellison wants to, um, you know, get that mission with the Russians to observe the comet and get better data so they can make some predictions. And because um, it's pre-Hubble, you know, there's no telescopes. Oh, it's pre-Hubble. It's pre-shuttle program because they talk about that. Like, oh, hopefully they'll get this space shuttle program up and running. So that tells me, again, it has got to be 75 or so when he's writing this yeah. book because – you know, they were just really kind of getting around to planning this out. Skylab is still in the air. It hasn't fallen yet. So yeah. they're talking about Skylab. They're talking about, you know, whoa, maybe if we had shuttle missions. And they're talking about um, uh, the Soyuz space station, which is up there, which is, uh, you know, so it's all like, it's all 70s technology. As I was reading this, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. The show no shuttle. There's Skylab. No, those yeah, Soyuz... Those Soyuz fuckers still work. I mean, you, we got them attached to the International Space Station as the lifeboat. Yeah. You know, if you need to get off the space station in a hurry, there's a there's a Soyuz escape capsule. You know, yep. for landing on the ground. 
although sadly they made them take the gun out of it. Are you aware of the gun they made them take out of the Soyuz uh, capsule? Yes. Uh, and it was the best part is it was a survival gun. It was it was a super rugged fired three types of ammo or something like that survival gun that they you can't have a gun in space at the space station. What if the Russians take over the space station? I'm like, okay, I, that didn't seem likely. At least you know, because who wants to fire a gun in a space station? Uh, not somebody smart. You yeah. would, you know. Number one. Um, but the idea that the Russians had it because what they dropped the capsule into Siberia, lost it off course, and then the crew got stuck for two days fending off wolves <laughs> in the taiga because they were unarmed and you know stuck in the cold. Yeah, I no wonder the Russians wanted a survival rifle in the damn Soyuz capsule. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But yeah, but it's all set 70s technology, so it's definitely written, you know, it was bef before pre all that, before Hubble everything so yeah so there's so all that the, inertia to overcome trying to convince people to take it seriously yeah. right because well, pe people look at armitage and the crazies and go well they're they're stupid and crazy and panicking they can't be right so they oh, write off the danger but they also didn't want to tell them either because like uh when uh harvey randall is interviewing at jpl he's interviewing the two well the main the man will be not Dan Dan Forster and uh, Charles Charlie um, Sharps Sharps, you know Sharps and Forster the ones who do the whole thing with the hot fudge Sunday and uh, do the calculations you know and the whole thing Sharps like well it's getting close but Forster the whole time is like you know it's gonna hit he like he's like he's like I've done the calculations you know he's like there's a zero percent chance there's a zero zero percent chance it's gonna hit but there could be a five hundred thousand mile uh, margin of error on that but it's 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 gonna hit he's like it's gonna hit and they're like no 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 because dan forrester is like this super like hyper intelligent dude like he's like he's their smart guy like these are scientists at jpl and they're like oh they did they, they, they made some a comment to that they're like these guys say he's he's the genius and these other guys are all like geniuses as well you know yeah. so this this guy's like like hyper intelligent you know, this Dan Forrester character. Was Forrester the diabetic or was Sharps yeah. the diabetic? Forrester was a diabetic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, so, we remember him. He's the wizard. He's the wizard. Yeah. We'll get to that, how they call him a magician. But, um, so, yeah, so he's saying that, but they're kind of like, well, we don't know about that, but people are kind of like, Jellison's like, well, let's, you know, he has his age, like, well, let's supply, but not do enough to seem suspicious, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a half measure. Because we're trying to keep it secret. And if we've learned anything from, say, watching the crazies, <laughs> when the government decides that the most important thing is for it to be secret, it's a lot harder to get anything done. Exactly. So so all this is building up with the characters. And there's, some, there's a lot of throwaway characters that you meet in the beginning. Like there's like this serial rapist stalker murder guy that we were introduced it was definitely like based on on the hillside strangler don't you think from yeah. the 70s in los angeles it's like richard ramirez you know all over again yeah i don't remember that i don't remember the characters you know, but, i don't remember again, his name either but he, he he was clearly like based on that oh the, fred Fre fred lauren ah uh, yeah that's so they spent a lot of time on that character, but after the fall, you know, because 
there's a lot, you know, we lose, there's a lot of characters that were in there that are gone because after Hammerfall. So it's good about that, introducing spending time on characters, but well, you know what, they're, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know? Uh, so you miss, you see, you lose a lot of these characters. So it's a lot of buildup and a lot of precaution and, you know, people are trying to take it seriously, but not panic people. Yeah, but there's that moment, and I believe it's, um, I'm trying to remember, the, 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 it's a documentarian whose name is uh, Harvey Randall. Randall. Harvey Randall. There's that one moment where Randall tips. Oh, oh yeah. He's like, the- let's, let's be prepared. But, it, but by the time he tips, all the stuff, most of the store stock is sold out. So he stocks up on things that he thinks is smart. Like he stocks up on like salt, and a lot of like all kinds of other things for preserving and like staple stuff. And then he also buys like a shit ton of beef, sides of beef. And he starts making beef jerky. He starts drying it in the two ovens and his wife doesn't know what And he's like, she's freaking out. And the classic, one of my favorite, my, my fa- absolute favorite line in the book was when he's making beef jerky, he says, a good beef, a good strip of beef jerky is bone dry and hard enough to kill if you file the end to a point. <laughs> yeah, and that moment where he makes the beef jerky is that moment where his wife realizes that he thinks it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, he's been reassuring her, and then the next thing you know, he's like cooking all the meat and he's cutting the strips, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, that it, we're we're going to need this, you know. We're gonna need this right now. Oh uh, yeah, to where he even his neighbor. Um, um, I want to say I don't want to say Corky. His neighbor is um, shit. Gordy, that, Gordy what? Vance. His neighbor is the scout troop leader, and his kid, his kid's like a Boy Scout. And Gordy's like, yeah, I kind of was planning on going up into the hills. For he's like, yeah, take you know, take you know, take my son. And they go on a hiking trip right before the hammer falls. And I so want to point out is, is, that there is a dramatis personae in the front of the book. Thank you, Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell, for giving us two pages of character names and their jobs so you can keep up with all the characters in this book. Yeah. Mark, Mark Chescu. It's Chescu, Mark Chescu. But, I was wondering uh, if the audio book gave a better pronunciation. Yeah, that's, that's what it was, Chescu. Now that I saw it written again, I was like, Chescu. Okay. Yeah, Chescu is like, Harvey Randall's like, he's kind of like, he's like a kind of a biker slash hippie slash I was in the Navy, but I don't want to do nothing. I ride motorcycles and I just kind of like live in the moment kind of guy, you know, but he yeah. can kind of do a lot of stuff. He's kind of kind of handy, you know? Yeah. He he resurrects that character very much in foot footfall. Do you remember the biker in footfall? No. There was a guy who's a welder, he's a biker, and he's uh, he he turns up in footfall uh, as a guy who uh, you know escapes the the initial devastation of the alien invasion and uh, eventually gets hooked up with the team that's building the Orion ship to go up and attack the aliens again. Um, so anyways, uh, I always thought that, uh, Mark was very similar to that character that was, you know, kind of an aging biker, somebody who might've been hard, you know, super hard once upon a time, but is, you know, a little softer. He's certainly a lot softer in footfall as a guy with a bad back. And there's all this, you know, talk about that. There's a big sort of whole plot line about how his back is terrible, but he, he fights through all that pain to get the job done. 
So he's like he's one of the main characters. Harvey's the main character. Tim's the main character. You know, Tim's you know gets this. You know, there's there's a lot of convenient co- coincidences. You know, people getting you know connecting with each other. You know, during the thing. Um, and let's also mention Gordon up on the mountain. Oh, Gor- Gor- yeah, Gordon, Gordon, Gordy, Gordon Vance, his neighbor, yeah. the I, banker, I, I, the president yeah. of a bank, uh, who who as scoutmaster goes up prior to Hammerfall. Planning to do what? Oh, jump off a cliff because he's embezzled a lot of money and is going to go to jail. Yeah. His life is over. And just as he's about to jump... The hammer hits. Earthquakes, tidal waves. So... so Lenny Bruce is not afraid. (laughs) Yeah. So so they're like, you know, so we meet all these characters. Again, it's very 70s. Like I said, we... um, um, Aleem Nassour, you know, he's running like groups of like, you know, like, because everybody's preparing and leaving town, so they organize into, like, robbing all these honkies, um, expensive houses and stuff. You know, they have, like, a lot, they have, like, a big group of, like, they have, like, I think they have, like, five or six vans. And Well, it's organized. It's, like, organized crime. He, he, went yeah, from totally, being, uh, he went from being a political organizer to being a criminal. Yep. And, uh, and you know, it's like, well, we'll never get politically organized, so we're just going to steal shit. And, um... Uh, he and his people are robbing houses. Isn't there a point where he's like, the hammer hits and he's like, okay, put the fucking TVs down and grab all the food. Yep. Because, like, but why? Because it's over. Because there's nothing going to be on that TV ever again. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they dump all the junk. You know, he gets them on the radio. Get everybody to meet at such and such point. You know, he's, he, was a, he was a pretty good leader. So. Yeah, he's very organized. Uh, and, and, and saves his people. Gets his people, his men, and their families out of L.A. before the, the tsunamis hit. Yep, because, you know, because everybody knows when it hits. So basically, so so we're leading up to that. You know, everybody's, you know, trying to get here, trying to get there. So basically, so you get to meet all these characters. You meet what's going on. You get to learn about them. And again, some characters continue on. Some characters don't. So the hammer hits multiple, like, and during this time, we have uh, the astronauts, two U.S. and two Soviets, in in the Hammer Lab. And let's point out that, that one of the points that Larry Newman has is it's the first black American astronaut. Yes, yes. Which, again, to date it even more, you know, it, they make a big deal out of it. Oh, he makes a huge deal about it. And, you know, because, you know, racism is still, well, now that it's not predominant now. But it was like even worse, you know, but it's in the 70s. It's still, you know... You know, the more whole, far more institutional. Oh yeah, I mean, because we just left the civil rights movement left, you know, less than a decade ago. You know, so it's yeah. still pretty, still pretty pro, uh, predominant. So, so th- during the whole time they're reporting to JPL, you know, they're trying to observe and they're seeing that, you know, it's like, oh yeah, no, we're making these projections and they, they're realizing that this thing is going to fucking hit, you know, because they're seeing like, you know, chunks of it because it's broken up are like the size of mountains, you know, and. The west side of the well, the European side of the planet from the Atlantic on gets hit. That gets hit the heaviest. You know, you know it hits the Mediterranean, the Soviet Union, China. Um, you you get hit in the Pacific. So all the, they they're seeing these hits happen, and he really gets into the detail about you know how it hits. And you as they're going over, they can still see these craters in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean because there's so much lava and steam pouring out, lava pouring out of the crust. That it's keeping back the ocean's waters because yeah. it's just it's just basically just steaming it and it's throwing so much steam into the air. So 
the, those are hitting. Uh, it's hitting fault lines. Tidal waves are happening. Like they give a lot of illusions to all the things that are happening. Like there's a couple of guys in Greece who are like archaeologists and they discover something and the guy, like they're lo looking, watching uh, the comet and they're seeing stuff, you know, the tail. And then there's like a bright flash, you know, and that's basically coming through the atmosphere. One guy's blinded. They're on this high mountain in like somewhere in Crete or something like that. And yeah, he's basically just, yeah, just hold on to me. Cause you know, you know, and they're, they're basically having their last moments cause he sees this fucking tidal wave coming through the Mediterranean just wipes them out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or actually, actually, no, I think they died before the tidal wave hit because, like, there was so much, like, there was, like, basically lava, like, the earth cracked and the lava and steam poured out and killed them before the tidal wave even hit, you know? Yeah. There's, um, a, there's, there's a lot of that, you know? There's, like, this is, like, uh, you were reading before, the whole uh, the whole Nile Basin basically is a, becomes a, is underwater. Yeah, I can't remember if it's underwater because the, the, the Aswan Dam collapses and this giant tidal wave rolls down. Uh, the Mediterranean, or is it because the strike in the Mediterranean drives the water up the Nile? Either way, they're Both. like, everything from the cataracts to the delta is a dead zone. Everybody's dead. It's just, that's all there is to it. And um, uh, what what was the most, I mean, there's some really freaky moments during Hammerfall. Um, the guys in the spaceship watching these mountains you know, being hit, you know, knowing that any minute they could be fly swattered oh, yeah. by a chunk and they're just going to be over like that. They won't even know it happened. So there's, there's, that was pretty freaky, but what for you was the absolute pinnacle of freaky moments from Hammerfall? Oh, I can tell you that's easy because there was a strike in the Pacific and while this was happening, they were expecting like all these, uh, Surfers were expecting all these tidal, like all these like big waves. So there were some big waves. So basically, you got all these surfers out in the water, and this tidal wave comes. Like the water starts to reset, pull in. They start paddling out even farther than they are to, to try to get up on the crest of the wave. And like there's a lot, you know, a lot of them don't make it. A lot of them, so basically, there's, there's just like this like hundred foot tidal wave or two like five. It was high super high tidal wave and these guys are going up this tidal wave and then a lot of them start surfing it they're serving this tidal wave because he's trying to get over he thinks he's going to be able to get over the top this one character yeah he, he can't it's too far because it's too big so he just starts riding the wave and he gets all these zen moments about you know you know um i can't, I can't remember his quotes but he says something about you know you know when there's nothing left you know uh you know nothing left to fear and all this, all this stuff, all these, you know, uh, good lines. It's, it's, yeah. It's like, well, I'm going to have the best ride on the best, biggest wave of all time. That's it. Oh yeah. And he's riding this tidal wave over Los Angeles, over the gold, because it's huge. And he's on, and eventually as they're going, you know, a lot of them start dropping off and he's the last one left, but he gets like two miles inland before he loses it. And he basically, no, he's hit by a building. Yeah. He, he's office building hits him like a giant hand just slaps him <laughs> you know or something like that before the wave crests you know where it's like where does the wave crest and see me i'm not in see me but it, it crests in the mountains just behind los angeles it fills the entire los angeles basin oh yeah and during the time because there's other parts where the characters are trying to get somewhere and there was a lot of like dooms doomsday you know people 
preaching and stuff and they're seeing this tidal wave coming and they're basically dead. There's no, they, mm. once they see the tidal wave, there's nowhere for them. So it's funny how one of them says that it, it looks like they're like, they stay talk about how it looks like he sees the, somebody surfing across the wave. And then he also sees, Hey, look at those people down there on the robes. You know, like they see each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The idea that the people are trying to leave town and the, and, and the doomsdayers or the, they said the religious types, didn't they like chain themselves together yep. across the freeway to force people to repent so God will spare us? And people just want to get out of the kill zone. And I'm thinking if I'm see the tidal wave coming and there's some dildo in a robe who chained himself across the freeway that kept me from getting out of downtown Los Angeles, I'm spending my last moments beating him to death. Oh no. <laughs> they 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 uh they are chased and shot and beaten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because these people know they're not getting out and they're going to yeah. die. So they, they take it out on them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, the tidal wave moment was the one for you that was just like, okay, that's... Oh, the, the guy freaking surfing, hanging tan on the ultimate wave, man. You know, it's kind of like he's like freaking um, Patrick Swayze in, uh, you know... <laughs> Point break. Point break, you know. The <laughs> it's the 100-year storm, man, you know. Uh, what is it? What's his name? Uh, Cody Bro or something like that. Uh, I Brody. can't remember. Brody, Brody from the original movie. I don't know what they're going to rename him in the new. Oh, film. I'm a fucking piece of shit. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was my moment during that. But you they love a remake. That's Jared's favorite thing: is take a good movie and do it over badly. Oh yeah. So they talk about how basically because a lot of strikes hit the Atlantic, and they're basically everything from the East Coast to the Appalachians. It the basically the waves go up to the apple hit the appalachians so everything yeah. before that is gone you know florida like, florida gone the gulf coast is a strike in the gulf of mexico texas yep. gone mississippi, new gone. orleans mississippi alabama gone the the waves are coming up the mississippi basin you know and hitting new uh, st louis Oh, it's 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 a mess. You know, England's gone because it's so low, and uh, up India through up up through India. It, yeah, it's up, up yeah, up to the Himalayas. Up to the Himalayas, it went. Yep. So they and talk. And then the Russians and the Chinese have a nuclear exchange. Oh yeah, while all this is going on, because also the, they talk about how the tide, like some of the tidal waves, went around three times. Like the ones like from the below, like it like they had such enough energy. This kept going. They went around like one of them. Like went around three times before it fought. Like the second, third time around, it was only like half as big, you know, because it lost a lot of energy. But um, yeah, so during that time, yeah, the Chinese decide that you know what, you know, because there's going to be snow, there's, they're going to come down to us. We don't want them here. So they start. So the Russians had already been hit near Moscow, so the Chinese start launching missiles at them because we're like, you know what, we don't want them here. Let's kill them. So besides the floods, the earthquakes. Mass wholesale mass destruction of people in the world. The Chinese are let's 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 add insult to injury. You know, hey cripple, nice tie. Let's add it. <laughs> let's add insult to injury. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Hey cripple, nice tie. Well, that's oh, insult. Wow. That's that's insult to injury. So okay. they um, again, folks. I've never claimed to be PC, but yeah. it's a joke I heard somewhere else. But so they. Start to, to nuke Russia. Nu Russia uh, strikes back, and during this time, they're seeing the missile strikes up in the space station. The Americans are flipping out the Russians, and and finally figure out no, they're shooting at China. 
And during this time, then they also talk about the the guys in the U.S. missile bases, and they get they get new codes to launch at China because the Russians were able to contact like Looking Glass or NORAD, and they asked for our help. They're like, listen, you know, the Chinese nuked us. We're not launching at you. We are launching. They said we are launching, but we're launching at China. If you could help us out, that would be great. So then we pile on top of China. So basically, there's like nothing left of China. Yeah, if they weren't going to get hit by the, the tsunamis, then we, we fixed that problem. Oh, yeah, we took care of that. <laughs> That's <not> the... <laughs> so there's a little mass murder added on top of, you know, the all the other death and destruction. Um, and um, again, I want to read my favorite moment out of the whole novel. Just in case you thought everything was going to go fine in the Middle East. Um, uh, my favorite paragraph, further to the east, the Palestinians and, and Israelis suddenly realize there are no great powers capable of intervening. This time the war will go to a conclusion. The remnants of Israel, Jordan, Syria, Saudi Arabia are on the march. There are no jet planes and little fuel for tanks. There will be no ammunition resupply and the war will not end until it is fought with knives. And I'm like, I hate to say it, but there's certain folks in that region who will be happy with that outcome. Oh yeah. That's another classic uh, scene yeah. from Aaron. And that, you know what? I hate to say it, but I think this is exactly how it would go down. <laughs> there wouldn't be any, let's quick. We should all work together to survive. Ah, you know, just right at each other's throats immediately. Zero, Here, here, zero. Here's our, here's our opportunity. Go. Yeah, and the idea that, and it certainly it's a very 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, remember, 73 war, right? Just happened. Just a few years what, before. Is that the eight-day war? or, so, or uh, uh, Six and seven-day wars. I think 60-whatever is the oh, six-day okay. war, where Israel snuck attack. Everybody who was they were building up for an attack, and Israel struck first. Uh, second war in 73 is... The Israelis get jumped by ambush. This time they get sucker punched. Um, and uh, it was much tougher for Israel on that one, but they still they still won it. But the, it's only been, you know, uh, it's only been four years since that war. Camp David hasn't happened. Jimmy Carter hasn't gotten Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat to shake hands and be nice. Besides, Egypt's not doing too good right now, so we won't yeah. be hearing from Anwar Sadat. Um and there was basically, there was definitely an attitude I felt in the 70s and 80s that that if it wasn't for the fact that the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc, and the American bloc existed to keep these guys from fighting it out to the last man and dragging us into it, if it wasn't for that, they would have fought it out to the last man, you know, and 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 just finished it some horrible way, kind of like, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, that 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 uh, the only thing keeping them apart was great power politics, which isn't necessarily true because Soviet Union's gone and we still haven't had any kind. Of, we haven't we haven't had a a conclusion. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's again one of those things which kind of does date the book a little bit because it is you know again. I mean, there are certain things like I said, all that stuff that are very. But you know, you don't have to be a person who grew up in the seventies to oh. really. And there's hippies. Remember, when we get up to the stronghold, we get hippies. We get genuine hippies. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So it, it is kind of, you know, looking back, you know, when I read in the 80s, it didn't it didn't dawn on me. But coming back to it 30 years later, or over 30 years later, 
God, I'm getting old. But over 30 years later, um, yeah, it, it could seem a little dated, but it's still, you know, that it doesn't really affect the, you know, the quality of the story, you know. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, the um, uh, post Hammerfall, the the biggest story arc after the Hammerfall, I is the biggest story arc the New Brotherhood Army or is it the Stronghold? It starts off with the Stronghold and them trying to pull their shit together, but then the new the New Brotherhood Army comes along. Well, actually, it, it only started out. Well, folks, the new the new okay. So the Stronghold is we mentioned Senator Jell, uh, Jellison earlier. He was, you know, the one who kind of helped support all the all the stuff. Now, um, he's he has like this big uh, farm and ranch. He's like in the I forget what valley he's in. He's like in this he's in this valley with these mountains. He's not he's in the like, San Joaquin Valley because that's a lake. That becomes a lake. He, he's near yeah. this. They're near this. The San Joaquin's not very far from them, so they're in their valley, and there's a lot of farms, and they're trying to organize, and they have a really good. Uh, like Senator Jellison's uh, Al Hardy is his uh, his aide is very good at what he does, and he likes things neat, like he says. You know, um, they're trying to organize. Like, okay, we got all these people here, and then there's also another big family there called the um, I just forgot their name, George. Uh, but uh, is it the Carson? Not the Carsons. Um, I'm looking. I, I don't remember. Um, it is. I just read the damn thing. Um, Christopher? The Christophers, thank you. Okay. Uh, the Christophers, they're like the big family in the valley. So there's a little tension there, but, you know, the, you know I was like, listen. So they basically close off the valley, to, you know, because they're like, all this traffic's going to come here. We can't feed everybody. So they're trying to get their shit together to be able to survive the winter because they know how bad it is, you know. And the thing is, right after the hammer, so much water, because that's what people like, they're like, at first, there's a lot of mud coming up, and then there's a lot of salt rain. It, like, it rains for, like, weeks, you know. It's, like, it, probably a week is heavy rain, and then it lightens up a little bit. But still, like, for weeks, it's raining every day. Yeah, heavier at the beginning, but then eventually it gets to a point where it's, like, it's raining every day. There's always mist. But at the beginning, that's why there's so much flooding. Dams, uh, dams broke. You know, yeah. the, uh, the, the overfills. Even though, like, a lot of the engineers open the overfills, like, channels – too much. There's too much water. It's a good thing three gorges didn't exist uh, at the time. Of course, all those nukes that didn't do China any favors either. But uh, something like the Hoover Dam would have collapsed, and the Colorado River would have just washed out oh, yeah. to the Sea of Cortez. Well, because part of it too is the rain that was coming was warm, so all the snow in the mountains was getting warm rain on it. So that started melting. There was such an influx of water. It wasn't just from the tidal wave. It was from the rain and all the uh, all the ice, all the all the ice and snow melting too. So they were getting it from everywhere, and people were trying to get away. Like which which means that all the all the water sources, the rivers, are actually going to be short. Uh, the next year or more are going to be short a snow cap to melt and slowly feed the rivers because all the mountains have been stripped by a combination of salty, warm water. That's going to scour those watersheds or those those snowpacks off. That's an even more horrible pr- prospect too. That okay, you're drowning this year. Next year you'll be dying of thirst. Possibly, but also there a lot of snow came a lot early too. So because okay. of the because of the cloud cover, so they might be okay there. But you know it, it's definitely a risk for sure. 
And it, 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 a lot of the main characters you see are trying to like, Tim Hamner's like, hey, let's go to like, well, first he wanted to go to his observatory, but that got, uh, uh, what do they say? What do they say when you take something that doesn't belong to, it's requisitioned. That yeah. got right. And it got requisitioned, requisitioned by his, by his freaking, uh, his assistant. Yeah, he gets yeah. up there and the guy's got a bunch of guns and he's got a lot of blah, 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 rich boy. I fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So he lost his shit. So they go, let's go to Senator Jellison. Harvey Randall's trying to get to Senator Jellison because he, because he only gets there because Mark Chescu and his girl, well, there was three of them, but they lost one of them, are trying to come back to try to get Harvey because uh, they want to, you know, to help save him. Because they're because they're in the mountains on their motorcycles, Harvey comes back, and he comes back to a horrible situation, you know, because of, uh, you know, um, you know his you know his wife is gone, all his supplies are gone because there was a van of like a biker gang, kind of almost like from Dawn of the Dead. They got a van and motorcycles, and they're going around just raiding everything. They're, they're not even they weren't even um, um, Alim and Nasour's uh, kit people. It's like, like a whole different biker gang. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, they're not even in the New Brotherhood Army yet. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all kinds of crap going on. So he's trying to get this like, – they're all trying to get to Jellison's place eventually. You know, like um, even at JPL, which got destroyed in the earthquake, you know, you had um, – Doesn't doesn't that shitbag uh, Robbins, Marty Robbins, the assistant who takes over the observer, doesn't he turn up in the New Brotherhood Army at some point where they scooped him up and forced him to be a cannibal or something? Or um, I can't – there's somebody – I just remember somebody being a – Who's like a dildo at one point, and then the next thing you know, <laughs> they've they've been scooped up by the New Brotherhood Army. Yeah, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember um, who it is. Oh shit! You know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the gang of raiders at the beginning of um, the Postman, who robbed the main character of all his stuff, and then later, the main character encounters the the one brigand he talked to. In the uh, Holonists, who's he's been drafted by the Holonists that is like some you know he has to be some butt boy and shine shoes and fetch pails of water or something where he's been I think that's what I'm thinking of not not the caretaker. Well, no, there is some other character I I, I can't remember who what his name is now, but uh, yeah, so all these people are trying to get up there, you know, uh, Forrester's trying to get you know gets there. Well, well, there's a. Uh, what was the other? Not not Forrester. What was the other side? I always forget his name. The other side. Uh, Sharp. Sharp is like trying to get people like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna go to Jellison's place, and but Dan Forrester's like, no, I gotta go home first. I gotta take care of something. So and, uh, what I loved about the big convoy that gets together from Sharp is, you know, uh, uh, Forrester's like, I can't go. I gotta do my mission first. I gotta go home. And they're like, good luck, you know. And they load up, and there's this big description of how many people and how many guns and all this stuff. And they vanish. I mean, I remember. I think Forrester just sees them go, and then they just disappear into, you know, they never make it. Yeah. Well, all we know is they don't make it. They just vanish. We don't know where they are. And Forrester is going back to his place to uh, get his, you know, because he still he had power for about, a, you know, twelve hours, you know, um, or like one night or something like that. But he's like. He's preparing books because he's like a bookworm and he remembers everything. You're so he's pre he's preparing all these books for the long term, like how to rebuild civilization. That's his big thing. He's like, we got to rebuild civilization. We got to rebuild so so he's all these books on how to 
make things work, how to fix things, how to do this, how to do this. Principles and, of electricity, principles of mechanical engineering, principle, yeah, basic science and hard engineering books. Hundreds of books. He, he basically prepares them for long storage. Like he like, his thing is like bug spray and then he seals them in like four Ziploc bags. I and forgot about the bug spray. So bug spray. Like, yeah. Bug spray and something else, maybe mothballs. He puts in bug spray, mothballs, four Ziploc bags, and he winds up dumping them all in his like old septic tank because he had a new septic tank put in. So he still had the septic tank. Dumps it. He spends like, and this this is killing him doing this because you know he's got bad feet. He's got you know he's a diabetic. He can't get the sugar. His insulin's you know you know going bad. And he's doing all this, and he's not very—he wasn't a very strong person in the first place. So he does this like for like two days and dumps all these books. And then he starts to head to um, Foresters, and he doesn't show up at like or Jellison's. He doesn't show up at Jellison's camps like weeks later. You yeah. Know? Now, who was it that hooked up? Hooked up with him? There's like one of their character was it Mark the biker who who finds? Yeah, I think uh, Chesku finds him. Yeah. There's one other thing that happens to. Forrester on the way. I think it's Forrester. It's either Forrester, yeah. the Forrester, Cheshku. Is it Forrester who runs into the crazy army deserter? Yes. Who who who's just like, ha ha! You know, my my unit went rogue and killed the captain, and I didn't. And then they've become cannibals. And goodbye. And he's just he steals all Forrester's food and takes off. That guy's never identified, but I always, I, 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 kind of had this weird feeling that maybe that was that shitty corporal who murders. Because remember, there's this thing where. No, no, the, Sergeant. That, that corporal's still there, at least. Okay, the okay. Because I, I wondered if the shitty corporal who initiated the mutiny then later bails out. When no, 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 no. He, he's still there because, yeah. So yeah, that's another thing we encounter, folks. Is that there, there's a. There's like a basically was it was it like a was it a, was it a platoon maybe no I don't think it was, it was that a company it had to be a company it had to be like a hundred guys at least maybe two hundred guys tops because there was a captain there's a top sergeant uh, yeah multiple trucks it wasn't a platoon it was like a company so they're like going back to base or something and they don't they're not supplied for to be out in the rough so basically the hammer falls and then they you know and then yeah this one guy's like. This corporal's like, I'm going to kill the captain, and we're going to be in charge, or we're going to be rulers of the wasteland, because he's like, been fan he's like basically a prepper, crazy guy, like fantasizing about the world coming to an end. You know how he's going to rule yeah. the wasteland. You know, Sad like, sadly, he's probably Red Boy and his dog. <laughs> yeah, but it, it doesn't work out so well for him. He doesn't really get to do anything. So, but they have all these guys, and the problem, you know, with it is they immediately like again, it's a bit of a trope, but they immediately go. But they go cannibal. They go cannibal like almost immediately. Well, they do this thing where they try to take over some farming community, and they get their asses handed to them. Yeah, you know, because they've only got a basic load of ammo. You know, they can't have an extended firefight. They only carry a hundred rounds a piece or two hundred rounds a piece, and then they're out. Or I guess three hundred is the standard load of, of ammunition these days. But um, yeah, they, they they they. It turns out that they can't you know have a standard, and they and they weren't carrying any food, so they're they're weakened before they even get into the fight, and so they end up eating some of their dead, which turns out to be, again, Larry Niven has a primer on why you shouldn't be a cannibal because they eat the dead guy who was sick, and then everybody gets sick. Oh yeah, you know? because that's and, something that and, they, 
Yeah, because they had a they found a doctor who wasn't even a really. He was just like uh, I think he was like a gynecologist. He was like an oncologist or something. He wasn't really like a. He wasn't a, just a regular MD. Um, yeah, he wasn't an immunologist. He wasn't an immunologist specializes in diseases. No, he's a guy. He was a gynecologist. I remember them. The somebody keeps saying, "What do you know? You're not even a real doctor. You're a pussy doctor or something like yeah. that." Yeah. Keep yep. insulting him. Um, but yeah, now they got a guy who checks the corpses and finds out who's edible. Because um, yeah, because they were doing it at first because they did had no food, so they go they go totally go cannibal. And, you know, they keep him around to inspect stuff. And they talk about how, like, well, when we find a place to settle down, we're going to have to we're gonna have to hobble him so he won't try to escape, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's the weird thing where we suddenly have the three problem groups come together. We got the deserters who turned to cannibal because, again, no food, and there's a whole bunch of them who survived together. So they, they had those guys who are half crazy. They run into uh, Sergeant Hooker knows – uh, Alina, Alina, yeah, yeah. They know each other because they grew up in the same neighborhood. Those two groups come together and cohese together, and then they bump into Doctor Henry Armitage's crazy people who went up into the mountains so that they could be, um, you know, taken up into heaven uh, at the end times, but got left behind. And Doctor Armitage has a has the good news for everyone. Yep. And a lot of what them believe Dr. it. What is Dr. Armitage's good news, Jared? Oh, that you're, you're all angels of the Lord. You've been saved to finish God's work, you know. And they talk about, listen, we've done some bad shit. We've eaten people. But that's okay because the angels of the Lord could do anything. You know, you're forgiven for everything, and you're going to help our message. So they want – I think Hooker doesn't really want to join up with them because Hooker's like, this guy's crazy. But a lot of his troops believe him. So well, they want someone to tell them it's okay that they ate a guy. I mean, <laughs> they really want someone to show up and say, no, that, that cannibals don't think that's okay. <laughs> that's going to be all right. So and it helped. And so it gives them a bigger army and it helps kind of keep everything together. And they build this army, but the thing is they have nowhere to go because now that they've eaten people and they make it, they, it's really heavy, uh, subject here is like, they're tainted. Like people won't let you in. They won't talk to you. Like you've eaten people. You're, you're done. You know, so they have nowhere to go. So they're just going from place to place and just they're they're freaking uh, Mongols. They're just going from place to place, you know, using up these resources and continuing to go on, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and because the group gets so big, they show up in a place, they fight their way in, they eat all the supplies, and then they can't stay there. Yep, and then they can yeah. they go on and they go on and they go on and and they indoctrinate people. You know that they they, they they stop being cannibalism their primary source of food, but they still do it as a ritual because of armitage. They all they it's all they're all batshit crazy, you know. And they say like some of them some people like it, but they do it as a ritual because they're like, listen, you know, if there's ten people there. It's like, listen, you either join us or we kill and eat you. Your yeah. choice. You either eat the stew or you are the stew. Yeah. And then once you've eaten the stew, congratulations, you're on our team forever. Nobody's nobody's gonna let you in because you've eaten some you've eaten people, so it's kind of a method to grow their army, and that's why they keep on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. What really got me about that, and it's actually very accurate, is that okay when you hear about these militias and these child soldier armies in Africa, um, sure there's some stories sometimes about crazy uh, African tribal magic, sometimes involving cannibalism or 
or sacrifice in order to get a military advantage or be bulletproof or any of that kind of stuff. But um, the big thing that they use to solidify new recruits that are kidnapped, because they kidnap their recruits, you know, they just go into a village and steal all the kids. One of the ways that they uh, solidify them into the army is through that exact same sort of thing. They make them do something so shameful that they feel they can't come home and return to civilization. And so they use shame as a weapon to force the loyalty of their of their kidnapped, essentially, you know, kidnapped recruits. And that's just what the New Brotherhood Army does. Oh, yeah, exactly. They do exact same thing. So, so that's building... Um... Uh, so that's going on. The, you know, Center Gels is trying to build. Uh, they also, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to reveal too much of the of the end of the story as we're going on here. But I, I like the idea of building up to what the climaxes of the story is and leaving it at that. Yeah. Because these things are all on a collision course. Yeah, they're all going at the same time. There's also earlier in the story talk about they're building a new nuclear power plant in the San Joaquin Valley. That comes into play. Power is important to help build civilization. Dan Forrester gets to the Dr. Je- uh, to the uh, Jellison ranch and they realize how valuable he is. So, you know, they want to use him to, you know, cause he gets there and he's like, well, I can either help you make these weapons to fight, you know, the cannibal army, or I can make it penicillin to save my life. You know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. insulin. Yeah. The choice between insulin or, or save everybody. And, in, and Dan Forrester goes with Save Everybody because he's a goddamn steely-eyed rocket man. That's why. Oh, he was. By the time he got there, he was he was on death's door because he hadn't had insulin in weeks, and you know. Yeah. So that that's going on. Um, our friends in space come down, you know. So they're they're involved in the story too, and two of them are Russians. And, I'm, and when you read the book, it's like it's like oh, they might not like the Russians, and I'm like why oh because we're still in the height of the cold war. So you got the, you got the Russians who are coming down. They're involved. You got the nuclear power plant. You got, you know, the Forrester, you know, they're trying to build weapons. Um, some interesting stuff happens to a uh, Gordon Vance. He's up in the, up in the, up in the mountains with the, with the scout troop, Harvey Randall, you know, cause he hooked up with his neighbor's wife not hooked up, but they found each other and they look for their kids well, he loads up the look, and some interesting dynamics have changed with Gordy oh, and the yeah, scout trip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his son doesn't want to go home with him because in the mountains, he's a man. He's a man. They're their own people. So they they formed their own little fucking tribe up in the mountains, and you know, yeah, interesting stuff with that. You know, read the read the book, and you'll find that out. Um, so you got that dynamic. You have you know. You know, you know, they're picking up communications of like we've heard of five different people claiming to be president. You know, uh, go and while they, they, uh, yeah, and, and who has the best claim? Colorado. Yeah the uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives is alive and at uh, at Looking Glass or looking at, at Crystal Palace. Yeah, they're at NORAD headquarters and outside of Colorado Springs, and they make a point of how much military throw weight is based in Colorado. Yeah, so they have a, they have a lot of you know, so nobody's gonna fuck with them, you know. So they lay claim. So I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, and it's all building to you know, of course, a final. Do you remember who any of the other five people claiming to be president were? Just out of curiosity, no, they, mention that, they mention it, but 
I, I always want to find out that it's like, you know, again, some mayor has declared himself king or some governor has declared himself emperor of the Kansas. Well, well look, there, I think there was one one group of the guy who basically is like some kind of claims himself like some kind of Roman leader or something like that. Some kind of, there was some real, <laughs> yeah, there were, they talk about a couple of real crazies like, hey, I like so and so. He had some good ideas, you know, because he was like a total crazy person, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and you meet some other people of authority because basically a lot of people say that Senator Jellison in this area is like he's, you know, he's a uh, he's the main guy because he's a senator, you know, the go like um, the governor of California or second the the. This um, the deputy secretary of California is somehow involved with the cannibal group because they, they oh that's right yes because they they're like no we're the governor of California because we have the like the deputy secretary of uh, agriculture or or, or or but it's you know and since there's no Sacramento and there's no governor he's the governor of California they've got some guy that they're parading around in front of the army and saying that we're the real government yeah we're the real government. Yeah, and so they 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 fed him the stew, so he can't, you know. So they got him, you know, claim, um, which is interesting. Around the nuclear power plant, the San Joaquin, like I think the mayor of the of San Joaquin is there, you know. So there's there's some people with wasn't it wasn't it something about like the 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 people in the San Joaquin power plant were like L.A. mayor? It was like yeah, it was so, like, yeah. It was like the L.A. mayor and the L.A.P.D. are out there, uh, or, like, or a section of it, yeah. Because like this like. This fall, this power plant fell under our jurisdiction, so it's ours, you know. And they they saved the power plant because basically it's interesting. It's basically you know what they do because it was still under construction, so there's a lot of construction equipment there. So just do the math. You'll read what ha you know what happened. So it's it's very it's very interesting, and you know a lot of you know survival stuff. But I think the thing I did I the thing I didn't like about that last you know third half of the book was it was it got you know kind of choppy. You know, it was like there's a lot of time hops. You know, you, you wish that the instead of being one third of the book, that it was half the book. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's that, that's the only one real fault I find with it. It could have been instead of the spending, you know, most of the book on the pre, which is important. But, you know, maybe we could you know, spend a little more time in, in what happened. I mean, they, I mean, it was very concise. He got to the point, you know, this was happening. This is happening. It wasn't done poorly by any means, you know. But it was just but a lot of time we, hops. Yeah, we still would have enjoyed just as much material uh, devoted to all of those stories after the fact. Yes, you know, well, not that we have to hear everyone. Like uh, Sharp and his team that drive off from JPL and disappear, we don't have to hear about what happened to him necessarily. But, but I wouldn't mind if I wouldn't have mind seeing it though. You know. Yeah, um, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, uh, more detail uh, is would be good. Because Niven and Purnell delivers it, they deliver it uh, all the way through the all the way down the line. Uh, their their attention to detail is beautiful, uh, and uh, it mostly reads as uh, it mostly reads as real. You know, uh, it really does. You know, dated perhaps, but only slightly. Yeah, it's it's a very good read. Like I said, you know, like I said, we're we're not getting. I mean, we revealed a lot of the book, but there's just there's so much more to this book. You know, a lot more detail. There's a lot of dynamics. It's it's a, it's a very good book. It's readily available, folks. You know, you can easily get the book. You know, you know, there's Kindle versions. There's hardback paper. You can get it anywhere. It, it's it's so easy to get your hands on this on this book. You know, it's not like it's out of print or anything. Because it was Larry Niven. He's a very you know well known author. So this stuff's still in print. You know. Yeah. 
Uh, I've definitely got the 85 edition. Oh, I got, got uh, 83. Got, mine's the 80. Did yours say 85 printing? Yeah, yeah. 85 printing. Mine is, yeah, mine's 80, mine's 83, you know, so. And I do want to point out that this thing uh, won a, it was on the list for a Hugo Award, but did not get it in 78, which is, I think is quite the shame because it was pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when we say it's a good book, book folks, we weren't kidding. You know, if it was on the list to get nominated, if it was nominated for a Hugo Award, it was, it was very well received, you know. Yeah. For this sure. ranks up. Wouldn't you say this one? This rank. I mean, we've done our top, you know, favorite books, but this one and and Bryn, the Postman, or it's 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 tight. And Bryn only wins because it's all post-apocalypse, not pre-apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's why Bryn wins. Uh, but this thing, yeah, this is a brilliant piece of work and yeah, you... chunky. At the time when we were kids. We thought this is as big as a book got. Yeah. You know, uh, before <laughs> before Stephen King came along and did away with the need for an editor so he can publish 800-page novels every year. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, this is a thick book, you know, and um, another book I'm finally going to start because uh, I got the audio book because I just uh, have it, you know, because it, it works good for me because of some of my commute and stuff. Is oh, yeah. Finally, finally going to get through War Day. Oh, excellent! I think that I think you're really gonna like War Day. Yeah, that's one of those, that's. I, I attempted to read it when I was in high school. For some reason, it just didn't it didn't catch with me for some reason at that time. So I'm gonna come back to it now. So, um, yeah. So again, folks, it's a good book to try to get a hold of. There's a lot of good books out there. You know, uh, whether you said you you listen to it or read it, but you know, you could easily get your hands on this one. Um, and we'll admit we have a we have a we have a bias towards some of the older classics. I will. I'll absolutely cop to that. Oh yeah, because uh, one of um, we had one of the one of the friends of the apocalypse send me a message. Uh, I forget where, because uh, he was like a I think he was like a teacher or something, and he was talking about he appreciates you know you know that we're very old school with a lot of the stuff we talk about, and he did suggest well about some more contemporary stuff, and I don't disagree. I don't disagree with him, but you know. Again, we tend to go for the classic stuff that we read because I, I, I see a lot of the stuff that comes because a lot of stuff is cranked out now. It's so easily a lot of stuff is you know self-published now and it doesn't really get go through a lot of good editing processes, you know. And I've seen a lot of stuff out there, and this doesn't you know a lot of it hasn't really ever really appealed to me. You know, maybe I should try to read some more contemporary stuff, you know, because we've, uh, we've got to stick our noses in it a few more times. I'm looking at. Um... Oh, uh, I've forgotten the name of the. I keep. Uh, I haven't finished the Sleep Apocalypse um, story. I, the the most recent Apocalypse stuff I read, I guess, was Wool and Shift. Uh, and you should take a listen to Wool. You should try Wool out. Uh, I think you'll be pleased. Yeah. So I mean, they are right. We don't listen, you know, because we're old. We're old and fussy, you know. So we like a lot of the old stuff, you know. But a lot of it's the classic. And that's where the foundations were, because he he mentioned some other stuff about. I'll have to go back to it, like. You know, how about some, there's some young adult stuff out there that he, you know, uh, you know, for post-apocalypse and, you know, there's, and the, there's, the, there's the after blight chronicles uh, for one. And if I'm not mistaken, like I said, like we said, maze runner technically is some sort of post-apocalypse. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. He mentioned maze runner. You know, I've, I have read one kind of some young adult, like, uh, well, again, it came out in the seventies. It was, uh, uh, Christopher, John Christopher, the, uh, tripods sure. trilogy. 
Tripod, tripod. was definitely young adults as well. Young, you know? young adult, but I, you know, I read it back then. So you know, yeah, I just wanted to recognize. I can't remember. I'd have to find it. I don't remember his name, but it's like, yeah, we, yeah, we know we're fussy old grodnards, and we probably should get on some more contemporary stuff. But you know, uh, we will eventually just forgive us. You know, it, just, it takes us a little bit longer to get into this. You know, the, this new, all this damn new kid stuff. You know, so. Um, oh. We'll we'll have exhausted our own supply of material, and then we'll be forced to move on to new material. Yeah, that's that's true. So, uh, so I wanted to recognize him for for pointing that out, uh, and we appreciate that. Um, what else? Well, I don't really got much more to say about uh, Lucifer's Hammer. Uh, at this no, point. except that everyone should go out and read it. If you're even remotely a fan of the Apocalypse, you should have read it. Yeah, so definitely go out and read that one. And uh, for next uh, next show, and uh, as long as uh, I'd like, since because we went a little bit long between shows, I'd like to try to do one next week as well. If uh, if your is your calendar free for next Monday night? See. Okay, I have uh, hooked up with uh, Stephen Lee, who is uh, the co-author of the Seventy Seven Worlds uh, RPG. It is a post-apocalyptic yes. RPG that he worked with James Ward with. Uh, me and him are going through the process of connecting, getting him on Google Plus, and uh, seeing if we can get the hangout to work for him properly, like it should, because we can't have the same debacle we had with James. <laughs> so, well, we worked uh, our we worked our tails off to make that work. So, so me me and him are are are, can, are connecting to get that to work. So it's a uh, seventy seven worlds, folks. It's basically it's science fiction, far future. There were seventy seven worlds that the that the uh, humanity populated. There was an alien apocalypse. That destroyed a lot of uh, our known our known universe, um, and the it, the the basis of the game starts with on the moon, where where they had these basically kind of a Larry Niven dream world or West World type of situation where they have these basically these fantasy theme parks, you know, like Egyptian world and these different worlds, and that's where you know you kind of start off with these characters living in these domes. They have like I think like one's the Egyptian. There's like a Roaring Twenties gangster one, so that's where you game the game kind of starts off there. But then also they they're expanding more. They're doing like a, there's like a, a basically it's not Gamma World, but it's basically Earth Terra. You know, yeah, expand, expand and rediscover the fallen Earth. Yep, they're they're doing they're working on that. And he'll tell us all about this, but we're gonna get him on so we can talk about the game. They have an innovative, you know, they have like a, a unique mechanic of using playing cards. So some games have you have used playing cards so before for you know instead of dice. So we'll talk about that. There's a Saturn shipyard. So it, it's I, I picked up the box that I haven't really had a chance to go through it myself, but it's very interesting. And they're producing, you know, they just put out a novel and you know and James of course James Ward works on it. And Stephen Lee's also been in the gaming industry for decades as well. So he's a he's a game writer developer as well. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get him on the show to talk about because again it's post apocalyptic. So we'd like to you know so bring bring recognize and bring some attention to his creation. You know some new post apocalyptic gaming out there. So we're gonna get him on to we're, you know me and Scott will of course you know pull a list of questions for him so he's not completely blindsided. He even said that's like yeah a list of questions would probably be good so when we go when we go off track we'll be able to get back on track because he's what he's watched the show so he knows. He knows what we're like. Yeah. Exactly. So um barring any technical problems on his end with getting him connected, we plan on next week, uh the twenty eighth, having him on to do a show about the seventy seven worlds post apocalyptic uh, role playing game. Excellent. All right. 
So, and that's all we got for now, folks. And like I said, you know, we'll probably we'll probably do some more of these episodes. Of uh, I'm going to co- go back to uh, some of these older novels, reread some stuff, and we'll do a kind of a you know a overview of a lot of the old good classic books. But I think before we do that, I think both of us should dedicate some time when we can to reading um, yeah. Fractured. Tales yes, of the Apocalypse. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with it. Yeah, I, I got to dedicate some more time because, you know, she sent that book, those, what, a year ago? So, um, yeah. and we've never claimed to be quick on anything, folks. So, you know yeah. that. So, but we will. As well, uh, as well my Kickstart backers know. Yeah, so we will. Uh, so, I think maybe um, that's because I actually, you know, I got on my stupid Kindle. I should, you know, at night when I'm, you know, reading for a little bit before I go to bed, I should. Start plowing. I've, I've read like one story, so I got, I got, I, it's, I'm being, I've been bad. Uh, so I think I'll read through it so we could uh, give that a review and give it its, give it its fair airtime because she did hook us up with the books and she does deserve that recognition that you know because for you know doing that for us. So there, there's one story in that is written in post-apocalypse speak. It's written in this broken language, you know, slang jargon apocalypse speak that is really tough to get through because. The writer doesn't pull any punches. You know what I mean? It's just the it's just the pigeon of the future because we don't have schools anymore. Um, but it's it's challenging. But I thought it was good. That's that's a that's a very interesting concept because we've talked about language on the show before. So that's uh, that that's pretty cool. So so yeah, we'll see if I could get through that. You know, I'll probably have some time because uh, well, I got to take a little road trip on this weekend. So maybe I'll have some time to. Um, do some reading at night. So we'll get through that. But next week again, folks, uh, 77 Lost Worlds. And as usual, thank you everybody for listening. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you following us. Like I said, we, this is definitely a uh, labor of love. It's just a passion, something we like to do. We're, you know, like I said, it's we do it when we can because uh, we enjoy it and, you know, we enjoy the feedback. And like I said, if we don't get back to you on stuff or, you know, right away, it's just like, you know, we just, we're like you. We got busy lives and this is not, Unfortunately, this is not our primary activity. We love we. I would love to if me and Scott could just do this once a week, every week, crank it out, and this is all we do. But uh, we're you know both we're we're both, we're both working slobs, and we got a yeah, lot of shit going on. So we're gonna have to, you're gonna have to hook us up with a Patreon account before we can uh, become independently independent broadcasters uh, with all all seventeen or maybe thirty five of our viewers <laughs> no, <laughs> contributing. We- Contributing thousands of dollars per episode. I'm sure between the 35 viewers we have, we can actually make this thing work. Well, you know what? We actually have um, on YouTube, we now have 346 subscribers on you, on, the YouTube, on the YouTube channel. You know, it's not bad. You know, we have almost uh, 200 people who are follow us on Facebook. So people do get to hear, do hear about us. And I'm actually seeing uh, the count right now. Apparently there's eight people. It was high as 14 at one point. Well, we've had we fluctuate between six and eight people are actually watching this live, listening to us talk, which we haven't seen in a while. So <laughs> usually, we think we're just recording it for the future, and they'll yeah. see it then. Yeah, and, and, right, well, and, let's, and, not, let's not let's not bore the, our loyalists, our core loyalists. We're not yeah. going to bore you any longer. We're going to sign off. Jared, play us out. You know, 
piano cat or whatever. Let's, let's okay. So again, folks, thank you for joining us, and remember to be socially responsible. Like us on Facebook, like us on uh, YouTube, share us, be socially responsible. Like things if you like them, and if you don't like them, don't bother not liking them. And uh, <laughs> we will. Uh, I am Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace. He is Adam Bomb Glancy. We are both thanking you for joining us tonight. And uh, we will see you in the wastelands, and we'll see you next week. Same time, same post-apocalyptic channel.